So Danielle, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. I thought uh, we could start out. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? For sure. Yeah, so I'm uh, Danielle Duplessis. Uh, right now, I'm a member of the Senior Women's Wheelchair Basketball Team. I'm also working towards my uh, Master's in Rehabilitation Science at U of D, and that's where I'm at Mike. Thanks, Mike, for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, glad, glad to have you on. So I thought we could start off by just talking a little bit about, about your background in athletics and academics and so forth. So, so when did you get involved in sports? Yeah, so I've been involved in sports for like as long as I can remember. From a really young age, it was sort of an important thing in my family. Uh, my mom was my basketball coach like all through elementary school and middle school. Um, she played CIS basketball and my dad is a big rugby player. So I think we were always pretty sporty as a family. Um, and then in high school, I started to take sports a little bit more seriously and played like provincial mm -hmm. uh, Team New Brunswick basketball and, and played in high school and stuff like that. So I pretty much been in sports my my whole life obviously that trajectory has has changed a bit with the involvement in wheelchair basketball now but sports have always been really central to like our family life my brother and sister also playing and both my parents coaching us so from right from the start yeah it seems pretty involved so you know take us through the transition of 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 sports uh that you started when you were younger and, and how that's transitioned or brought you to where you are now so i would say from a i guess from high school on, I sort of transitioned to playing mostly basketball uh, and soccer. So those would have been my, okay. big, my big two sports. Um, I also played a bit of volleyball, but like those are both pretty bad uh, knee sports. <laughs> Come to find out, pretty high incidence of uh, knee injuries for females playing all of those sort of pivot cut sports. So that was sort of what started my transition to parasport was a series of knee injuries. So uh, starting with uh, basketball injury where I did my ACL, MCL, and meniscus uh, in grade 11. So that would be like the unhappy triad. So that was my first knee injury in grade 11 playing basketball. And then uh, I rehabbed that for a year and returned to play uh, varsity soccer. And then tragically, like two games in, same injury, same knee. <laughs> so that was sort of ill-fated and really put things like put sports on the back burner for me. Oh, of uh, course. That was going to take, yeah, that was going to take a while to rehab. So being from a small, smaller community in New Brunswick, there was, there wasn't uh, really an orthopedic surgeon who had the, the skill, I guess, or the, the know-how to fix the repeat knee injury. Uh, so I ended up having knee surgery in London, Ontario and got that one fixed up, rehab that for two years and had like a little, little tiny university volleyball career <laughs> mixed nice. in there. Yeah, just a, just a sprinkle of university volleyball. But obviously the rehab was really a challenge at that point. So much trauma to the one knee, so it wasn't really ever ever what it was. And I ended up tearing it for a third time in my second year of university. So that was sort of the final injury. That one took two staged operations in London to repair. And just, I think, overall, the amount of trauma to the knee, like, three ACL tears, multiple meniscectomies, not enough cartilage to really be a good a good cushion or, or anything like that. So that was sort of the the final like you need to retire. <laughs> knee yeah, injury. no kidding. Yeah, until that point, like the dream was very much alive. <laughs> I thought I was gonna come back. But after after three on the same knee, it was kind of time to like reevaluate and make sure that the trade off of sort of having comfort in activities of daily living 
was was worth it because yeah the impact of sports on the on the leg was having a really a really negative long-term impact on my my daily life and chronic pain and stuff like that so tell me what was going through your head during some of this like how as an athlete and someone who identifies as as an athlete you know and wants to get back into the sport and has done all this rehab and stuff you know like what's what was going through your head I guess your mindset changes with e- with each injury. So when I did my knee the first time, I had just transferred from my large high school to a, a small like private boarding school. So okay. that was a whole new experience, um, being away from my parents, like playing high level sports at a prep school. And then, uh, yeah, and then of course I blew up my knee almost right away. So that was a challenge because I felt like no one at that new school really got a feeling of of me, like I identified so much with sports and all of a sudden I couldn't show anyone that, that side. So that was really challenging. But then I also know so many women who have come back from one ACL tear, (laughs) um, very successfully and got on to have amazing sports careers. So there was this feeling like, you know what, this is really bad. Like, but also I know I can come back from it. So after like ACL one, I was very much an optimist. (laughs) Like I was like, this is totally fine. I'll rehab my way out of this and it will be okay. And then of course, like ACL number two, you start to kind of wonder, <laughs> like, you're like, oh, this is getting pretty bad. Um, this is less fixable than the first one, but I still thought I could do it with yeah. like, you know, dedicated rehab and a good surgeon and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be on that one. Didn't last. And then by ACL number three, that sort of hope of, of returning to like high performance stand up sport was just gone and it was like I would be happy if I could walk upstairs without pain at that point because my knee was so unstable so it really was like a slide (laughs) I started out thinking that it was totally doable and for a lot of people it is um but that wasn't in the cards for me and then by the third one it was more the focus for me became more on like being comfortable walking and being comfortable walking upstairs or walking being able to walk to class and stuff like that was more my, my goal um, which is such a huge like 180 from my goal being to play, you know, youth sports, basketball. And so that's taking a very negative experience and, you know, these injuries and stuff, but you've, you've been able to, to turn that into something very positive. Yeah, I think, well, I'm so glad, I guess, that I found wheelchair basketball because that was huge for me. Like if you've played sports your whole life and then all of a sudden it's just sort of snatched away, or in my case, I guess like gradually slips away. Um, it's really challenging to identify yourself outside of that. So for me, like wheelchair sports are huge and making me feel like myself again and having like a place to channel my like competitive energy and all that stuff. And also to be able to be active and not be in pain. How did that come about? Yeah. So it's kind of a weird story, but there's a, a big parasport or like a pretty successful, not big, but successful parasport community in New Brunswick. So there's actually okay. two Paralympians, um, a married couple in my hometown that both played, like have won multiple gold medals in wheelchair basketball. So I, I guess first got an idea of wheelchair basketball when I was in elementary school because Dave Durapo, who's a multiple gold medalist uh, Paralympian, did a presentation on wheelchair sports at my elementary school being like a local who had won a gold medal. I was really into basketball too. So I thought that that was pretty cool and it kind of stuck in my mind. And then come to find out like years later, (laughs) like somehow that memory like resurfaced. And I was like, I wonder if I could play like just for fun. 
in a wheelchair just to just to be able to play basketball again and to be active again. So I reached out to Sabrina Durapo, Dave's wife, who was coordinating the local wheelchair basketball program at the time. And she was like immediately all in. Come practice. <laughs> Come to practice. Like you've got this. You're in. So I think her enthusiasm also really helped me get in the door. And the fact that like, like I was having a really hard time not being able to play sports and she just made it so easy. She was like, I have gym time. I have a team for you to play on. I have a chair for you. So initially I thought I was playing for fun. But then come to find out later on that wheelchair basketball actually has a really inclusive um, classification system. So all sorts of people with varying abilities can qualify to play. And essentially the criteria is that if your injuries impair you to the extent that you're not able to play stand-up basketball, you qualify to play wheelchair basketball. So in a funny like roundabout way, I started out thinking I could play, you know, pick up for fun. And then a couple of weeks in, I found out that I was actually classifiable as a wheelchair athlete and I could eventually, you know, play at the highest level if I wanted to. So what was it like transitioning to to wheelchair basketball? (laughs) It was interesting. Like I was so bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And like, that's always a struggle, right? Like you start something new, but the wheelchair really was just so foreign to me. And it just felt uncomfortable, like clunky. It was in my way. All of a sudden, like, you know, you can't move laterally. When you want to stop, your feet don't just stop. You have to think about it and like grab your wheels to stop your wheelchair. There are all these little things that I like sort of took for granted, like seeing the basketball, that all of a sudden were just thrown out in wheelchair sports. I did not know how to move the chair and that was probably my biggest struggle. But also little things like the net is the same height. The ball is the same size, but you're sitting down. Right, <laughs> so, right. And I don't have my legs to help me shoot and all this stuff. So. There was a lot to get used to, but it was pretty fun. And also like a lot of schools that transfer, like my shop form is the same, you know, um, dribbling very much the same, stuff like that. But I did really like fight the chair at the start. I was not one with the chair at all. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say you're one with the chair now? Like a little bit more, but I think it takes years. And if you think about comparing me to someone who uses um, a day chair to get around like in everyday life, the amount of comfort and like integration that they have with their chair is just completely on another level than, than me who sits in a chair for a couple hours every day to practice. So I expect it will take years <laughs> to be really, really one with the chair, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely on the up and up. Yeah. That's great. Tell me a little bit about how the rules are different from stand-up basketball. Yeah. So there's, I think the main, the main difference, because most of the fouls and all that stuff are the same, like two pointers, three-pointers, all that stuff. Um, But the main difference is, I think, the dribbling. So in wheelchair basketball, there's no such thing as a double dribble. The reason being, it's really hard to dribble and also push the wheelchair, like dribble with one hand, push the wheelchair with two hands. Um, It doesn't work so well. (laughs) So there's no such thing as a double dribble. So you can dribble the ball once, and then you get to touch your wheels twice before you dribble the ball again okay the way that people start when they're learning is you put the ball down once dribble once and then you can set it on your lap and push twice and then dribble again push twice um so there's no double dribble you can pick the ball up and then put it back down that's the biggest difference also of course including because we have such a wide you know range of abilities that we include in wheelchair basketball um we also have a different 
a different system for that than stand-up sports. So in wheelchair basketball, every player is assigned a points value, and uh, you can play 14 points on the court at the same time. So it's, it's called a functional classification system, and everyone is given a class or a point value based on their function, which ranges from one to four and a half being the highest. So uh, when I play, I'm worth four and a half points on the court because when I sit in a wheelchair, my knee doesn't, it doesn't affect me at all. In a wheelchair, I can bend to the side and bend forward and reach over my head and all that good stuff. Right. My knee doesn't affect me. Yeah, but if you're someone who's, uh, like, for instance, a, a paraplegic, um, so you have limited abs maybe based on where your brake is. You have to sit lower. Like you're not using your feet to help you balance in the chair. You can't lean over to the side the same way or reach over your head without losing your balance because of the abs. So that person would be worth one point. And then there's sort of everyone in between. Um, And then on the court, everyone's points have to add up to 14. So you can't build a team that's all, you know, almost able-bodied people like me. You have to have this combination of people with different abilities on the court to make points, which I think is is such a good idea. Like whoever came up with that, huge props. <laughs> um, it's it's so like creative. What a good way to make sure that everyone has a role on the court and that everyone is equally important. Mm-hmm. The value of a good one class player, like you only take up one point on the court, right? So if if you're good in that position, like you're you're invaluable to a team. Whereas someone like me, like because I take up four and a half points, if I'm going to be out there, I better be making an impact because I'm eating up so many points out of that 14. Right, right. It adds a whole different layer, which like initially was really confusing to me. Like when in terms of selections, you're not picking people based on who is the best athlete. You're picking people based on what's the best combination of players. Mm-hmm. Like how are these people working together as a group of five? people of differing abilities so that is really interesting yeah it really embodies the the sort of mentality of of a team sport it really plays into the whole like paralympic movement which is about inclusion and like interestingly too in canada all the way up until the national team um able-bodied people can play as 4.5s in our national league so until you make team canada there are able-bodied people also playing in the mix with people like me or amputees or with CP paraplegics. Like it really is a, a good group. Um, and you get such variety because of the class system. You know, now that you've sort of transitioned uh, from stand-up basketball to wheelchair basketball, and you've had some time uh, in the sport, I'm just curious what, what being a parasport athlete and being involved in that team environment and, and differing sport experience, uh, what that means to you. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Like, I'm a little bit new to the game. I guess I started in 2017. But it already means a lot to me um, in terms of, like, the para um, parasport community's, like, willingness to include people like me who are, like, minimally disabled. That means a lot to me. And then also having the opportunity to represent my country uh, and to play sports at a high level, like, means so much. So I think parasport has, like, already come to hold a very important place in my life. Yeah, and it means so much to me that the community is so inclusive uh, and that everyone has really welcomed me with like open arms. I think that has been has been huge for me um, and growing as a person like after losing uh, stand-up sports. Have you tried any other wheelchair sports? You played <laughs> um, wheelchair rugby? <laughs> I have not played wheelchair rugby. I've watched, but 
it's pretty crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know if I could keep up with them, honestly. Like, they're wild. I'm, like, as far as, like, wheelchair tennis goes, like, can't move very well with the racket and the chair. Like, that adds a whole other layer to it. Um, (laughs) So my my Periscope career is very much limited to wheelchair basketball (laughs) like I'm super I'm super down to try other other sports I think sledge hockey looks really cool and I'd love to try that uh for fun but as far as like sports I can keep up with like I think I need to keep it simple at this point fair enough how has some of this experience in in athletics and maybe with your injuries as well sort of informed your your academic and professional pursuits Yeah. So I think for sure, like from the, from the get go, the injury sort of changed my trajectory, um, in a really important way. So like I ended up, um, pursuing like my undergrad at a very small, like liberal arts university in New Brunswick, um, instead of, you know, at a bigger, let's say like CIS or U sports school, um, because I wasn't going to be playing sports because that was no longer my focus. So that helped me like shift. Yeah. Shift my focus to academic. Um, and then also like when I was looking at master's programs, like my personal experience, like, uh, working with people with like diverse abilities and playing with people with diverse abilities and then my own rehab, um, I think really drew me to the master's in rehab science because I felt like I had something to bring to the table there or like a unique perspective, um, on that. Yeah. So I think like it completely has, has informed my academics and like the, the choices that I made in terms of programs and like where I went and all that. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, about your, your master's and, and what you're doing now? <laughs> sure. I can give you like the quick, quick pitch. Sparks notes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm doing my master's in rehab science uh, at U of T, which is an awesome program. And I, I initially chose that program because they've been so flexible and so accommodating with me where I do also train uh, four days a week in Toronto. Um, yeah, so they've been super, super amazing from that end. And then also just in allowing me to like combine my personal interests with my academic interests. So my program is, um, Masters in Cognitive Rehabilitation and my focus is on pediatric concussion. So with that, I get to work at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehab Hospital. Like my lab is there, which is amazing. And I love hanging out there because I have just, it's just such a vibrant community. Uh, and I think the, the kids there are amazing. I also got the chance to help help them with uh, their wheelchair basketball program and set up some sort of mentorship programs with national team athletes and disabled kids at the hospital. So like I got to weave that in. So really it's been, it's been great like through and through. So now I want to sort of shift the conversation a bit to some stuff that we've been talking about recently, current circumstances that we find ourselves in, obviously referring to the COVID-19 pandemic and sort of the impact it has had on athletics and sports science research around the world. Uh, Part of why I want to talk about this is to sort of give a voice to those who have been affected by it within the sporting community. Um, I don't want to talk too much about, you know, what this means for society or anything like that, but really just chat a little bit about your experience and, you know, what's changed for you with your place on the Canadian national team, maybe chat a bit about the postponement of the Tokyo 2020, now the Tokyo, I suppose, 2021 Olympics, <laughs> um, and some of these recent developments and how, how they've affected you and your teammates. You know, I'm sure many other athletes have found themselves in an odd position where their lives have been put on hold, training has been put on hold, things have been canceled, and so forth. So mm-hmm, for sure. 
So how did you first hear about Canada not sending its athletes to Tokyo and what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think I first heard about it through, um, I guess, through the news and then through the an email from our athletic director at Wheelchair Basketball Canada. So I was like, I wish I had responded better, <laughs> to be honest. My initial response was not like that I was so proud of Canada for our public health initiative or anything like that. My initial response was like, oh my gosh, like we worked so hard for this. Like what now? Right. right? Because at that point, we didn't know that the Olympics were postponed. So my immediate like gut response was just to be scared that the Olympics were going to happen and they weren't going to let us go. <laughs> yeah, because Canada um, was really the first country to make that decision. That was before the IOC had made their decision. Exactly. Yeah, we were the first. And I think, you know what, in retrospect, like <laughs> after I thought about it for a little bit, I was like, you know what, this is really important to take this stand. But initially I was like, we're trying to force their hand here. And what if they, like, what if they don't? <laughs> what if they don't? Called the bluff. This? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so glad that that worked out. And then, you know, I ultimately, like, really proud of Team Canada for holding the IOC to a, to a high standard of protecting athletes. Um, I think that's so important. And that our country, like, stood up for us in that way. But initially, <laughs> I was just worried. <laughs> so what does this change then for you as an athlete? Yeah, it's changed a lot for, I think, for our team and also for me personally. So like before, prior to this, I was training four days a week at the National Academy, which is in Scarborough at the Pan Am Sports Center. So I would be there probably from eight o'clock to one o'clock every day. The Sports Center, of course, is now closed. <laughs> so no more gym time for us, uh, which is really a challenge because that was like definitely part of my routine. And then like looking forward into the summer too. We had a pretty jam-packed summer plan to get ready for like the major event in Tokyo. So training five days a week with all the women in Toronto starting in May until we left in August. And then mixed in there were like international competition in Germany, in the Netherlands, in the States, and then I guess finally like Tokyo. <laughs> so we had this like beautiful plan. I was really excited for the summer uh, and to see all my teammates and kind of to get to work. And then I kind of got like just thrown out the window really fast. So we went from having all this structure and like nothing is random in our in our training. So very structured, very regimented. And then all of a sudden it was like, we don't even know when the gym's going to reopen. So it did kind of throw everything in the air. It changed a lot. You know, you'd mentioned some of these competitions. Are those part of a national competition like circuit or... Yeah, so those international competitions that we participate in over the summer, we would go as the as the senior women's national team and play sort of like test matches against other okay. other countries. Yeah, and it's a really good way for us. Like we train together all the time. <laughs> so it's good to like see some new faces, first of all, but also like to see how you stack up going into international competitions. Mm -hmm. So like to play the Dutch, who are like the strongest in the world right now, is a great a great sort of marker for us to see how we're stacking up against them like we played the united states i think six times before pan am games last summer right um so we just we just continually like test ourselves internationally and all the teams like to meet up uh and sort of get a look at, at how everyone's doing before the major tournaments now in terms of training now well it's a little bit of a unique problem for our care sport program as well to have people training at home is a little bit more challenging maybe for me personally, like I'm in a one bedroom apartment in downtown Toronto. I don't have a home gym. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I have a couple resistance bands. I think my my upper body workouts that I would usually do have kind of like fallen by the wayside tragically. I have a couple of I guess body weight exercises that I can do. But for me too, like it's been kind of an interesting shift because because like I've been focused on wheelchair basketball for a little while now. My leg rehab of the knee injuries and like the most recent surgery had kind of fallen by the wayside because I was spending so much time working on my upper body. Your legs don't really matter in wheelchair basketball. So that wasn't the focus of my lifts at all. So post pandemic, <laughs> I have lots of time now to do knee rehab by way of like more, a lot more mountain biking and the knee rehab exercises that I had maybe been neglecting before the, uh, <laughs> before the gyms closed. So right, that's, po- right. that's, a, that's a positive in the, in the whole situation is that I got to kind of shift my, shift my mindset a little bit there but yeah it is definitely a struggle like and I am worried about I guess keeping up or maintaining (laughs) all this that I worked so hard on throughout the year in the the gym but ultimately like I'm pretty glad we have that extra year (laughs) to sort of build back up after this little lull too right do you see a lot of parallels then between when you had to stop sport because of injury and obviously now with with COVID-19 and having to sort of put things on hold um, I think there there's a couple parallels, but mostly like for me, like my mindset is a lot more positive <laughs> with regards to COVID-19. Like I, I see this as an obstacle that is like very much going to be overcome by, by us and by the women's team that will come out of it better. We all now have an extra year to train. We're a really young team. So we have like, I think we'll come out of it stronger, faster and have that extra year to like gel as a team. Whereas like in my, in my knee injuries and my rehab, it's a little harder to like, or I struggle. To, to have a really like sunny perspective on it or to see the light at the end of the tunnel like when is this going to end yeah i think that's a fantastic perspective to have on the situation too so thanks so much for sharing that so speaking of the extra year of training now the ioc announced that those who qualified for the games this summer will be retaining their spots in 2021 but in their immediate decision to postpone the olympics that decision wasn't clear So there was mixed feelings on, will I make the team again? What's going to happen? Do I still get my place? Will I qualify again? Mm -hmm. And all these questions sort of, you know, percolating around some some athletes' minds. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts to share on that. Yeah, I mean, like our qualifier for us was the Pan Am Games. And that was like a phenomenal tournament for the women's team. So we had to come top, top two to qualify. So we beat Brazil in our semifinal. We got to play against the United States, who were like defending Paralympic champs in the gold medal game. And we actually won, which was like such a feel good moment for all of us to beat the state. So like we were so proud of our qualifier, I think, that the idea that that maybe it wouldn't count (laughs) was kind of heartbreaking because like I thought that that was such a good tournament for us. So to hear that that our qualifier would stick and that we were able to go, um, like that it would still count was, was I think a relief. Um, not because I don't think that we can beat Brazil again. Like I know we can finish top two in the Americas. Uh, but just because like the memory of Pan Am Games is so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was such a Cinderella story for us. <laughs> but like, like, please. I mean, that was a really interesting tournament for me. Like I am so new to the sport. So it was kind of crazy that I even got to go, to be honest. Was that your first um, and to this point? biggest tournament that you've for sure in? Yeah. yeah yeah that was my like rookie rookie season or whatever last summer so I've been playing really for like a year somehow like squeaked my way onto that team through a lot of hard work but also like a bit of luck 
and it was a really interesting experience for me like being in peru first of all was crazy and then the whole multi-sport games experience is completely completely foreign so it was just a blast like it was really fun and then also like the, our team really came together and we competed so well so i think there was like it was really a sense of pride at the end too because like our final game against the states like we had played them like i said i think five or six times leading up to that game and maybe won once <laughs> so throughout the summer like we weren't testing well against them and then in the, the gold medal game we really brought it together we shot super well we made like amazing passes played like wonderfully as a team and we and we kind of like stuck it out until the end and won by i think two points so it's a really exciting game for everyone watching and just like a super exciting game to be a part of and then yeah of course like Canada beating the usa is always a feel good <laughs> feel good moment as a canadian <laughs> um <laughs> Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think it's like a natural rivalry, right? Like yeah. they're our, they're our neighbor, but they're also so different from us. So I think it's natural for us to want to like prove that you know what we're smaller. Like our population is is little compared to them. Our team is little compared to the the pool that they select from. But the fact that we match up, like it just it just feels really good. <laughs> if there's any athletes out there who are maybe going through something similar in terms of a debilitating knee injury or looking for a new sport to play, you know, I'm just wondering what you would say, say to them. Yeah. I think like what I would say to anyone who is like, even in a, in a similar situation is like, don't be afraid to like try new things. Don't be afraid to be bad at stuff. Um, like you're going to have to get creative and sort of the same thing. I think that applies to, to COVID-19 too, is like your training environment is taken away. Your sport is taken away. So like, don't be afraid to get creative. <laughs> you might have to think outside the box um, and probably put yourself in, in some uncomfortable situations, but it's totally worth it in the end. And like, you got to try new things to figure out what works for you. So I hope that anyone who's like in my situation, like if one person hears this and, and realizes that Parasport is out there, like that would be amazing. Great. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this is a super fun chat for me and a great way to break up my quarantine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just, I like my heart goes out to all the athletes who are affected by this decision. And I, yeah, I really hope that everyone is, is staying well and staying inside. Yeah, thanks so much for, again, for taking the time and, and coming on. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you for tuning in to the Athletic Perspective Podcast. Check us out online via our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, dot com. Or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, whatever you prefer. We have some great guests, some great content lined up, so stay tuned for more.